Welcome to our podcast, Pop Culture Vultures. Welcome. I'm Tony. I'm Julia. <laughs> We're journalism majors, and this is our podcast about pop culture. We're tearing it apart. The pop culture is the carcass, and we are the vultures. <laughs> no. Sorry, I needed to make that <laughs> reference. Okay. Okay. Yes. This week, the yes. topic is 70s, 70s bands. <laughs> because we love 70s bands. We do. This is just an excuse to talk about our favorite bands, honestly, because they both... Yes. Mine's like kind of... Mine's kind of a cheat because it's not really. I mean, it started in the seventies, late seventies, so I'm gonna count it. It counts. Yeah. Sure. It's I mean, do you think it has band. a seventies influence in its sound? Yes. Well, okay. I well, don't know. More eighties, but still. Well, it's just a, a different genre than what you're doing. I think. Yes, mine sure. is like very seventies, very very like quintessential seventies yeah. disco, Euro pop. Okay. Okay. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go first? Yeah, I will start. Um. My band from the 70s is ABBA. They're yeah. one of my favorite bands ever. I would literally get a tattoo for them. I would. We so should get tattoos after this tattoos. for our bands. Yeah, oh to gosh. commemorate. Okay, wow, if this gets that. enough um, streams, I don't know how podcasts work. <laughs> if this gets enough listens, guys, we're getting tattoos of our 70s bands, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, At least three listens. Three. We'll do it. Yeah, three <laughs> listens that aren't our friends, mm-hmm. and we're getting tattoos, okay? All okay. Right. So, basically, ABBA, if you don't know, is a Swedish Europop group, and they're one of the most commercially successful groups in the history of popular music. They dominated European charts in the 70s, <laughs> but also around the world, with hits like Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen, S.O.S. As it was during the 70s, it was at the height of the disco craze, and even though it's not, like, overtly disco, there definitely are... There, I mean, Dancing Queen is very disco. It's pretty disco. Pretty disco, but some of their other songs are more like Euro pop. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Very cheerful. Some of them have like um, Latin influences, which I'll get into later. Mm, wow. That's really fun. So let's meet the cast of characters. Dude, no fucking way you said that because I literally put cast of characters. It's because I saw <laughs> yours. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, just I thought we just had the same brain. You just fucking stole I mean, we mine. do, but okay. Okay, continue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay, so let's first talk about... Um, okay, also, I'm going to try my best to pronounce these names. I'm not Swedish. So first of all, we have Bjorn Olveus. I'm just going to call him <laughs> Bjorn. Um, so he's a guy. Okay, first of all, all of these guys... <laughs> Everybody here, um, every member of the band was already a successful pop singer in Sweden oh, beforehand, and they just combined their forces together. So holy shit, it's like Power Rangers. Yes, literally. <laughs> so Bjorn was a member of the Hootenanny Singers or Hootenanny, I don't know, but it's a popular folk music group um, in Sweden mm. at the time in the '60s. Um, he meets Benny Anderson, who. That name is a lot easier to say. Yeah, but it's probably Benny Anderson. I don't know. Say like that. (laughs) I'm just gonna call him Benny. Okay. (laughs) So he played keyboard in Sweden's biggest pop group at the time, the Hep Stars. They were actually nicknamed the Swedish Beatles in the 60s. Fun fact. So they met in 1966 at an after party, um, and they just became bros and they started writing music together. Um, Then they also met 
Agnetha Foltskog. Just going to call her Agnetha. <laughs> um, she's also a successful songwriter and solo artist. Um, and she met Bjorn in a cafe and they fell in love and they started making music together too. So Bjorn and Agnetha are a couple. And then later on, Benny meets, um, oh wait, hold on. Let me find her name in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Benny meets Anifried Lingstad. Oh, that was good. Thanks, bro. But we just call her Frida. She just goes by Frida. Wait, what? No, that's how Where'd she goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's how she goes. Where did that come from, though, Frida? That's what they call her in the band. When um, I did my research, it was like, they called her Frida. Like, your name's too long and hard to say. It so is kind you're of, Frida yeah, now. Frida. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Benny met her, and she's actually a Norwegian-Swedish singer who also had a lot of success in Sweden. And Benny produced her self-titled debut album, and they also fell in love. So, so much love. I know, right? So, we have two couples here. They're all, like, amazing, talented artists and at this point in the late 60s they were kind of just like combining their work like collaborating on each other's songs with like production work backing vocals whatever so they decide they're all very talented performers popular in sweden they finally decide to combine their forces together um, and they record their first song together called people need love in 1972 um, it's a medium-sized hit in Sweden, you know, not, 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 you know, they could be better, but they're already pretty popular in Sweden. Oh, wow, I'm even saying it right. <laughs> Sweden. In Sweden. Okay, so at first, before they came up with the name ABBA, they called themselves Bjorn and Benny, Agnetha and Anifrid. That is really horrible. Like, being Yeah, creative. it was like, no wonder it was a medium-sized hit, guys. So yeah, it's just their initials. Um, but the reason they chose that is because it's easy to say and they really wanted to have international success and a name that would go beyond language barriers. Mm-hmm. So ABBA is like easy for anyone to say. You oh know, God, it doesn't matter what language you speak. They were thinking it through. They, they've always been like internationally driven because English is like very widely spoken in Sweden, by the way. <laughs> I just say Sweden. <laughs> Sweden. Sweden. 80% of Swedes speak English. Wow. They, like, learn it from a young age. I had a professor that she actually studied communications in Sweden. Cool. And the only reason, like, her whole family is able to go there is because everyone spoke English. Yeah, it's, like, very convenient for us yeah. Americans. Um, but also, <laughs> so that's why a lot of their songs are in English. They have a lot of songs in Swedish, but the more popular ones are in English because they were able to, like, reach more people, even in the 70s. So Dang. they were always, like, very internationally driven and wanted that type of success. And also because they just wanted it to be, like, not only across Europe, but they wanted it to reach America and, as we'll talk about later, Latin America. Super cool. So that's why that came, that's how ABBA came to be. Um, now let's go back a little bit. So... <laughs> This is when I get a little dicey, is what you're saying. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so actually, no. When they Before they were ever a band, um, there's this festival called Melodifestivalen in Sweden, which wow. is basically the country's, like, how you enter into Eurovision. Do you know what Eurovision is, Tony? Uh, you've explained it to me before, but it isn't like... um. American Idol for yes. speeds. I will explain it. Speeds <laughs> for everybody in Europe. Okay, so oh. Eurovision is basically an international songwriting and performing competition, and it's annual, um, organized by the European Broadcasting Union. Don't know what that is, but anyway, we're stupid Americans. <laughs> we don't need to know that. Um, 
So the participants represent various European countries. Yeah, it's basically like American Idol, but they choose a group from each group or a performer from like each country. And then the competing countries cast votes for other countries' songs to determine the winner. So it's kind of like if the Olympics um, took place only in Europe and had a baby with like American Idol or X Factor. Oh, okay. And so to get into Eurovision, there's Melody Festival in, in Sweden. That's how you that's Ooh, how you get, like you put in your entry and if you yeah if you if you win that then you go into eurovision so it's a really big deal so they had been entering in each one had been entering in melody melody festival and multiple times trying to get in and they had never won and then finally as a group they won so they went wow. to eurovision beautiful and this is when actually i think they went to eurovision once and sang ring ring which was a big success, but I don't think they won. They did not win Eurovision at the time. So they went back and then they did Waterloo. <gasps> That's my mom's favorite ABBA song. It's Yo, a she wonderful busts one. down to that. So that was their that was like their breakout hit was Waterloo. They sang oh that God, at Eurovision in nineteen seventy nine, won it, they became a smash hit all over Europe. Smash hit. <laughs> and across the world. So they really like that was their first moment of success. And then after that, it was kind of like smooth sailing. They had hit after hit. And this is one of the reasons I love ABBA. Like they, for in my opinion, like they have more hits than any other band. Like literally every single song bops. There is not a, there's not a bad song no in that skips. discography. Yeah, no it's a little, little different than my band. We'll <laughs> discuss. That's okay. But anyway, they established themselves as international pop stars by the late 70s. Um, so let's see. Okay. And then in 1980, they Whoa. decided they wanted to... Or I guess 1979 actually is when they released Chikatita, one of my favorite <gasps> oh, songs so good. ever. Which That's has what you so get much tattooed. Meaning. That's what I would get tattooed because it has like a ton of meaning for me, mm. and I love it. It's like a beautiful song. Okay, so anyway, they released that in 1979 in both English and Spanish because they also wanted to, like you know, continue to stretch their influence internationally. Um, so they released that, and that was a huge hit um, in Latin America, but also just in like everywhere um apparently it was said to be the biggest hit in south america for 25 years chikatita like the spanish version i still feel like abba has like hits that are like still on, on the charts like now Do you yes. know what i mean like some of their songs are they're still, still the popular yeah. yeah so then in 1980 they released an all spanish album called gracias por la musica wow <laughs> <laughs> wait do they speak spanish do they know spanish um Okay, I could not find, like, for sure if they did, but they learned, like, perfect... If you listen to the songs in Spanish, they have, like, perfect pronunciation because they got, like, a um, vocal coach to oh teach gosh. them. Wow. And I think at least Bjorn spoke fluent Spanish. So that, to me, signified that they're not even... They weren't just trying to capitalize off of, like, Latin American music, the, like, the Latin American music market, you know? They actually, like, respected the culture and, like, wanted to make their music more accessible by speaking Spanish. Yeah, they weren't just trying to, like, rip them off. They no. just actually they wanted to, like, appeal to more people. Yeah, they were, like, just trying to spread their influence and spread the love, dude. Wow. So then after that, that really affected their music. And if you, like, listen to their songs, and there's, I mean, they're not, like, always the most popular, but there's a lot of Latin influences. Like, there's, like, Put On Your White Sombrero, Chiquitita, Fernando, Asta Manana. Fernando, that one's so good. Yes. They all have these Latin influences, and they're both in English and Spanish they really reached a wide audience and i was like i think that's so cool that they were doing this in the 70s like that's like so amazing and like people don't do that now no like i I can't name a band that like does that 
I mean, there's definitely like there's some that are, that have like both different cultures, and right. then they bring them, but like, like not like, or like yeah, Kugo, but not like, like some white people that are like, yeah, like, let's bring in the culture, like I white people from Sweden, like yeah. from a Nordic country doing yeah. this, and they're and they're doing it in like a respectful in way. a respectful like, way. Like, and they also visited like South America and Latin America most many times, so they're wow. like really just trying to be inclusive and love that about them. <laughs> love so, that about them. <laughs> they became beloved in many countries. Um, Dancing Queen also, or many communities, what and countries, <laughs> right? <What>? Um, <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but Dancing Queen became an important song in the LGBTQ plus community as well, um, because it's basically about like. I mean, they kind of just, like, interpret it in their own way, but it became, like, kind of a gay anthem because it's, like, is, like, your first experience stepping into, like, a queer space or a queer bar or someplace like that and oh. feeling, like, very welcomed and euphoric because, like, it kind of has a vibe, vibe. Yeah. yeah, it's, like, a, like, a party, like, a happy party song, but people kind of... Welcoming and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it became kind of a gay anthem, too, so... Beloved by many communities, guys. <laughs> um... Let's see. However, even though they were having like amazing musical success, the relationships behind the scenes started to crumble. So, which you can imagine because they're in a band together. Like, I feel like bands always end up having problems anyway because you're Mm. just like, you know, with like a same group of people doing like your work and like, you know, going on tour all the time and all that. So, like, they end up having problems inevitably. But if you're like married, Mm. Like, you're bringing that into every aspect of your life, so. That's, yeah, all, that's, like, their entire life. Like, obviously, yeah. there's going to be issues there. Yeah, so Bjorn and Agnetha broke up and then divorced in 1981, and then uh, Benny and Frida also eventually divorced. But they, So then they, like, you start to see, like, a... And it was also at the height of their fame, too, that this was happening, and they just kind of had to keep that behind the scenes. But you see the influences in their songs, like The Winner Takes It All. Sometimes One it helps with songwriting, though. Yes, and these like are, like, Fleetwood great Mac? songs. Because they bef- wouldn't have such so bops true. if they weren't, like, all fucked up. Oh, my God, you know I mean? so true. Like, yeah, dreams. <gasps> so good. Breakup song. Anyway. I mean, um, all of them are pretty much They songs. are. <laughs> <laughs> Except, like, Christine McVie's. She just, like, writes beautiful songs, and no one gets She's just chilling. Yeah. Oh. No, you're right. She's just so She good. really is underrated. She's a baddie. The songs she wrote? Oh my Dude, God. I would go into Fleetwood Mac as well. I wrote a whole essay about we that should. last year. We might have to do a second bar of the 70s bands. Fleetwood Mac is my second favorite 70s band. Oh my band. God, we could do Fleetwood Mac and like Bee Gees or like some oh other God. 70s band. I don't know band. anything about Bee Gees. <gasps> I don't either, to be honest. <gasps> but they're very 70s. They are. Disco. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this was different for ABBA because most of their songs before this are very cheerful and about like kind of happy topics. Mm-hmm. So then they started to go into this new territory of like sad breakup songs, like The Winner Takes It All, One of Us. Um, like songs that mention like the resignation from the pressures of fame and touring all the time. Like one of the lines in um, Super Trooper is, all I do is eat and sleep and sing, wishing every show was the last show. Oh, you're right. Uh Uh-huh. Like, they were feeling it. They were feeling it at that point. They were sick of that shit. Okay, so then they ended up... This was at the height of their fame, and even though it gave them a lot of great content for songs, they ended up breaking up, which actually shocked the world because, like... The world was shocked. The world was shocked. Like, because they really hadn't... They had been a band for, like... I mean, actually pretty long, like, about 10 years. That's, like, impressive, honestly. It is impressive, but they were, like, so famous, even into the 80s, so it was really upsetting for people, but... Then they just kind of went their separate ways, went and did some solo projects, but nothing was ever as um, popular as when they were all together. But then they had kind of a, 
like revival of their music in the 2000s or actually in the 90s originally in 1999 benny and bjorn who by all accounts still seem to be bros the whole time they were just bros. Just bros. They, I love that for them. Yeah, they like came back in were the Were the 90s. other two like the the gals? Were they not really digging I, it? Like, were I they don't not? Know. I think they just like wanted to drop off a little bit. Like they had been famous for so long that they were like. Did, did they get along though? While they were in the band, were I think they, so. They just weren't the bros. The, they, the bros Benny started and Bjorn all. have been bros for years, dude. Yeah, so I think mm. they were. They I don't know about. I think friendship. That's beautiful. I know, right? So then they were like, you know what? We need to revive this beautiful music that we created in the 70s bro and they combined their efforts to produce mama mia a musical which came out in the late 90s and it was a huge success across the world i was gonna ask about that because i literally did not know how mama mia started i was like it was why and well then they started it i thought just some random writers were like let's write this story and then they're like you know it goes so well in this some fucking well, abba I like think, i didn't i didn't know the day started I, thought, I just thought some random people and then they're like abba i don't know if they were the original ones who started it but they like wanted to come together anyway to do something like to do mm. some kind of musical with yeah. abba music and then i think they just joined forces with, with like, the people that were writing yeah like director or whatever i don't like even actually know. we have the best soundtrack and yeah it's already all completed exactly. they're like exactly sign me up they're like put that on some like visuals of like a girl running around on a greek island oh my god mommy is so good it's so good it's like, so it good. is like that's how i got into abba and i think that that's how a lot, a lot of people, people who were born in our generation mm-hmm. got into abba was that it was like really reinvigorated yeah by... i went and saw it with my mom and my grandma and my grandma yes. knew it because she listened to abba just like yes. in her life it really connects but my mom and i like generation yeah it does because we i were, also like, bonded... the best time yeah i bonded great. over them i would watch the movie with my grandma and yeah. my mom who like listened to it when they were oh younger God. and then um so the film version came out in 2008 and that was a huge like global box office success and then yeah. they came out with the sequel in 2018 here we go again did you see that i didn't i mean no. it's fun it's like fun in the same way that mamma mia is um, and they yeah. like there's new songs in it, but definitely not as good as the OG. But Cher makes a surprise appearance. In Love there, Cher, so. she's baddie. Yeah, and that was also another way to um, like kind of celebrate and collaborate these two huge artists from the 70s. True. So having Cher and actually Cher like released her a whole new like album of um, ABBA covers after that. So that was cool, wow. like a little merge of the 70s sounds. Um, let's see, and then um actually so in 2008 when they like when the movie came out it fueled rumors that they were all gonna get back together and have some kind of you know reunion but bjorn actually said we will never appear on stage again so that shows that there was like bad blood between them but like loki good for them because sometimes bands go on like reunion tours and you're like okay true for what yeah but now that and only like the rich people get to see them because the tickets are like yeah so honestly like that kind of seems like it's kind of the case with it now because voyage was released in 2021 which is their newest album which kind of keeps that same 70s sound of their heyday um but it in my but they opinion, still won't tour if they no they so they're touring in 2022 and 2023 okay, so they're but only in <laughs> london but also it's i i don't think they're actually gonna be there it's like what? holographic what the fuck isn't that they crazy would. they're like um we'll never be on stage again but our holographs but- <laughs> <laughs> that's such like a cheat like i feel like that's not allowed <laughs> i know but it's cool because didn't they do that with prince too yeah it's fucking insane i think it's cool because i would like, like trip me up though I they're so like old at this point that they're them performing is not gonna be the oh, same as true. it was yeah you see an older artist and it's like 
you want to admire it and love mm-hmm. it, but it's not the same. Their voices aren't the except same. Except Billy Joel. Their vibes aren't the same. Okay, with the exception of Billy Joel, I Yeah, guess. everyone <laughs> needs to know that. <laughs> he literally sounds exactly the same. I was like, oh, that's impressive. He, that seemed like a hologram. Wow. Anyways. But it's like a hologram of them, like, in their, like, 70s outfits, like, in the heyday of their stardom. I wouldn't pay for this. So, I'm, I probably would. It depends <laughs> nah. on how expensive it is, but they're only touring in, like, England, I think. Like, it's very selective, very mm. expensive, so... Um, and yeah, they released Voyage. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that album, to be honest. I love ABBA, don't get me wrong, but I feel like because they were trying to emulate the 70s sound, it just like, and they were older. You can't be like stuck in that. Like if you are a band, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's some bands that can do that with like continuously releasing music, but they're shifting and changing like with the decades and like what is popular and experimenting more. And I think if you just try to stick to the same thing, it's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like trying to do it again, but like, you're not as good at doing it. Like, yeah, you already did it. So like move on. And so, yeah, exactly. Like you already peaked and we love you for, for that, for that, (laughs) but we have moved on and I'm glad that they're doing that. I mean, the, I think the tour is a cool thing, like that holographic idea, but I don't know if they needed to release a new album. However, don't shut me down is one of their new songs. And that's actually really good. I found a quote from nme.com, which is NME. like a, You know yeah. that? Well, yeah, because they did all this stuff about, like, sex pistols and... Oh, the perfect. Clash. Okay, good. Now I know that they're legit. I was like... Yeah, no, NME is like... This? Yeah, they're big. Okay, cool. That's well, I found a really interesting article about um, Don't Shut Me Down. They described it as being a nostalgic, steeped banger that makes sense of the breakups that divided the band and celebrates the joy of healing from pain, each member seeing ABBA's greatest moments in a clearer, fonder light. I thought that was beautiful. That I was like, beautiful. I like that. Like that, that is probably my favorite song on the album as well. Um, so that's pretty much it. Also, wow. oh, they have an amazing interactive exhibit in Stockholm, Sweden, which has Sweden. like, Sweden, which has like all their um, like outfits and like all these interactive oh, cool. things and like, like a museum? I would, I would love to, yeah, Alba it's a museum. museum. I would love to go, honestly. That'd be really cool. I might like take a trip to Stockholm Maybe next year yeah. when I'm studying abroad. Oh my God. That's just so for like, that. Wow, worldly of you. When I'm sitting abroad, I might go to Stockholm. I, s- <laughs> I want to, bro. That would be really cool. Oh, my God, yes. Okay, so that's pretty much everything, but wow. we're, I'm going to end with... Uh, this is how we're going to end our yes, um, episodes now. With a game of Fuck, Mary Kill. <laughs> now, this is going to be really hard for me. Um, I'm literally so excited. I think you know all these songs. <laughs> okay, I should. Fuck, Mary Kill, Gimme a Man, Dancing Queen, and Lay All Your Love on Me. Oh, wait a minute. That's really hard. Those are all, like, Those are sexual. all so good. I know. Maybe I should not do <laughs> sexual ones. They're, like, all... Okay, I'll change it. I'll do, um... I just don't know how many you know. I I'll know do a lot. SOS. Oh! I already know. Ah. SOS, Dancing Queen, and Mamma Mia. How about that? Okay. Fuck Mamma Mia, marry SOS, kill Dancing Queen. Sorry. Are you killing Dancing Queen? SOS is literally... It's such okay. a good Abba song. I love that song. I love Are you serious? SOS too. I would marry SOS. I think I would probably have to. Oh, that's really hard. Wow. Jesus. Or maybe I'd fuck Dancing Queen. No, it's just like I've heard it so many times. I mean, same with Mamma Mia, True. but like, Mamma Mia has a has a fuckable, <laughs> fuckable nature to it. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. I I for me, the one that has the most out of those three, like the one that has the most like emotional significance to me is probably Mamma Mia because I associate it with the musical and like watching True. it with my family and stuff. So I would say that would be I'd have to marry Mamma Mia. Um mm. why did I make this so difficult for myself? I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna kill any of these songs. They're yeah, all you good. did this to yourself. Oh, damn it. Okay, I guess I would have to kill 
Oh my god, I'm sorry. I love SOS. Don't get me wrong. We literally. Sung well, that in I don't the know club, if I could marry Dancing baby. Queen though. I might have to yeah. kill. I might do kill what you did. Yeah. So wait, wait, wait you're, you're marrying reversed. SOS. Yeah. Okay, so I'm okay. fucking SOS. Okay, that works for us. All right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so we're not like getting confused <laughs> with who we're marrying and who we're fucking. <laughs> We just like switch off because it has to be the opposite. <laughs> oh, okay, but yeah, Damn, there you go. That's that was it. good. Thanks, buddy. That was a lot. My band, one of my favorite bands of all time, probably my favorite band of all time. Mm. I think, like, non-modern band. Yeah. The Clash. <gasps> Do you know yes. anything about The Clash, Julia? Literally nothing. I think okay. I only know one song. I too. found the... What? What song? Should I stay or should I go? Okay, that's, like, the one that everyone knows. Yes. But it's good. I mean, it's not it's a bad great. song. It's yeah. a really song. Okay, let's begin. Yeah. The Clash was a band that I feel like their legacy is, like, the biggest part about them. So, like, there was a lot of shit that, like, went wrong with all, with during their band. They didn't even last that long. It was, like, 1976 to, like, 1980. I think they released the last one, like, 85, but it was, like, that album does not count because it was just a mess. <laughs> so, like, they didn't, weren't even around that long, but they were, like, after the Sex Pistols broke up, they, like, took over punk and they, like, really had an impact on it. And they mm. also blended, like, a lot of genres, which is not usually seen in, like, punk music. So, that was also, I don't know groundbreaking yeah dude. so that's kind of what they remember for but let's begin the cast of characters <gasps> um so joe strummer was the guitarist and vocals he was kind of the front man i would say he had that kind of like edgy look to him and he was like whatever like he was kind of a badass mm-hmm. um there, there's this book that i was reading that my dad got me thanks dad for giving me this book but <laughs> i that's where i got most of my information um but they were saying that he's, like, the clash of the clash. So he had that kind of, like, angry, violent kind of mm. nature. Mm. Um, Mick Jones was the guitarist. He was also some vocals. He did some lyrics and stuff, too. They kind of did that joint at the beginning. Topper Heaton was the, like, main drummer. He wasn't the first one. But after their first drummer was fired, he joined the band. Mm. Joe Simonon was on bass. That's pretty straightforward. And then Bernard Rhodes was their manager, which I think this is interesting about them is that, like, managers don't usually have like a big impact on a band but he like made the clash what the clash is Mm. without him i they like wouldn't be what they are what they're remembered for i think they wouldn't have been as big without him and like he's kind of a jackass but like you know you know managers that's how it goes you know the music industry all right so so it begins 1976 um joe simonon and mick jones were like dropouts they're they're british by the way british dropouts they're british i know they're london art school dropouts oh for sure like should i say or should i go should i stay or should i go yeah you can literally you can literally (laughs) like it was british shit ever (laughs) so they met joe strummer he was in a band called the 101ers so the clash was kind of known for being political i guess during in london in this time there was like a lot of crime and there was a lot of like police brutality and they were like, speaking out about that and i think i mean the sex pistols were kind of the same way but they were like a lot like the clash but like way more fucked up so like when they broke up it was like a whole mess and then the clash kind of like took over that space and they became the biggest punk band and so they kind of took that role of you know talking about politics and you know sticking it to them sticking it to the man yeah so they're like super political but the thing with that is so they have like a lot of songs like white riot 
which is about the Notting Hill riots, so, like police brutality stuff in London. Oh, cool. Um, sure they were kind of woke. Yeah, the song Know Your Rights, that shit is deep. Reminds me of like, um, like completely different genre, but like yeah. uh, Credence Clearwater kind of. They, well, I get into that because they were actually kind of influenced by, they didn't li- listen to like tons of American music, I think, starting off. But then once they started, like, going and touring in the United States, because before, like, they weren't received there very well. Like, people were like, what the fuck is this British shit? Like, we don't know what's going on <laughs> like, in the UK. Like, we only like the Beatles. Yeah, they're like, no, the Beatles is it. And, like, the Stones. <laughs> but they were actually kind of influenced by that. And, like, yeah. when they made London Calling, they kind of... <gasps> oh, I know London Calling. Exactly. <gasps> That's The Clash? Yes. Oh, my God. No so, idea. yeah, they kind of emulated some of that, like, American rock music sound. Yeah. And also, I guess, that, like, British seem, pop with, like, Beatles and stuff, and they It does seem that. like it's, like, rock. It's, yeah. like, rock and, it's I guess, rock. punk. Yeah. yeah. And some some reggae. Rudy Can't Fail. That's my favorite Clash song. Wow. So but anyways, yeah, so they were very political, but the only reason that they were, I guess, I don't know if this is, like, speculation, but most of it was because of Bernie Rhodes, their manager. And he's hmm. basically saying all this stuff, like, you guys need to, like, speak your you know thoughts and like say all this stuff because before they weren't very political and then all their careers afterwards in music weren't political and never really said a lot of political stuff interesting yeah hmm yeah so the clash were kind of known for also for like their live performances before you know they had that like whole we're like anti-violent sort of thing but shit would get crazy at a clash show like that's what i like would would go back in time to do is like go to a clash show there were people like throwing chairs at each other oh there was one time where well, Joe Simon on, you know, threw his bass onto the to the stage or whatever, and that's how they got the front cover of London Calling. Oh, Someone took a picture of it, and then they wow. did art for that. Um, but there was one time, I think in the eighties, where yeah, in 1980, Joe Silver was arrested in Hamburg for hitting an audience member over the head with his guitar. <laughs> so he's like, starts off, he's like, I'm anti-violence, and then he goes out like you know. Four years later, he's like, "Fuck you guys!" <laughs> what a way to so, treat your fans. Yeah, I don't know. This shit was crazy, but not nearly as bad as like Sex Pistols or like Gigi Allen or anything like that. Wow, shit. that's interesting. Like that yeah. dichotomy, because I feel like that that message of like being like political and like woke in the sixties yeah. and seventies was really big, but then like it was also paired with like bands just being really unhinged and crazy and and also fans too but yeah that's normal. i don't know i think that was just part of the clash like they were kind of always struggling with this like okay we want this image but we also want to be super punk and we we want to appeal to like american audiences but we also like want to stay true to like our roots in mm. the uk and stuff so i think it was like really a struggle for them with their first album they i mean that one like went pretty okay it was just like their self-titled one there's a lot of songs in there i really like actually like i have no issues with that and then they released give them an up give them enough rope in 1978 see so it's like very end of the 70s mm-hmm. so that's like once punk kind of like took off um so and they were just kind of like part of all of that so that one was really good that was like a lot of there was like some praise in the uk but they still weren't popular yeah. in the u.s um by that point then they got a new um drummer so that's when topper heaton joined and he really brought a lot to it because he was like classically trained in like soul and jazz music and he Hmm. actually played in like soul and jazz bands so that's like bringing in another element and you can kind of hear some of that like in in their music too is like some of that jazz influence so that's kind of cool and they were also like really into like reggae rock and stuff like that so you can definitely hear that in some of their songs like um white man and hammer smith palace whatever that's called Hmm. cool yeah. they're like combining a lot of influences i actually think it's cool yeah. that you did the clash because even though they're not like fully in the 70s like they they represent like a different sound that also was part of the 70s like yeah because there's a lot of punk artists before that mm-hmm. 
you Whereas know. mine is like more like traditional like disco pop that you think of when you think of the 70s. Yeah, but I think there's like multiple aspects. Yeah, I mean, I think during the 70s like punk was a huge thing. I think I mean in the 80s and 90s as well, but like that's when it first started. Yeah. But, like really took off, so yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um So yeah, then at that point they really like took off with like combining a lot of different elements. They started touring with even like the Sugar Hill Gang and they had like grandmaster flash like open for them so they had like rap groups that were opening for them like by the 80s and they were really like they were really open to like having lots of different genres which i don't think like punk music usually does so yeah that's cool that was kind of cool inclusive so then at that point yeah london calling came out in 1979 by this point they were signed to cbs so i think that's when a lot of people think by this point like cbs wasn't like a huge label but still like pretty big so they were like produced by usually before this they did like their own production and stuff like so you can kind of hear it's pretty shitty but like it's like (laughs) that's what punk music was like it didn't need to be good or whatever so it was like fun so but then people were like telling them like they were kind of gaining popularity and they were like oh you need a producer that can like actually do their stuff so they got the dude from blue oyster cult don't fear the reaper oh yeah so they got that dude to come in i guess blue oyster Cult. yeah i don't know that doesn't like make any sense to me but apparently after that i mean they got him to do that and i guess it was fine but a lot of people think that they like sold out because of that and they're like wasn't a true sound anymore and whatever whatever i don't really think that's true i think selling out is just like a thing people like to talk about but i don't really think it's like a true i think they a lot of people say that when like they're just upset that the artist like did something different than what they usually do or like you get to a point in your career it's like okay like we did all that like do it for yourself sort of thing like at a certain point like okay yeah they just want to make money like i who cares like who cares yeah it's their job i know people say that about like green day too they're like oh they like they just sold out like they just and i'm like yeah but like who cares like that's their music they can do what they want i mean and if like people still enjoy their music then like that isn't that the point i think selling out is just like a whole i could talk about that forever it's like so stupid yeah anyways by this point with london calling they did like 17 tours in the u.s and they were like super big at that point now like i don't know i think it was because that kind of sound that was more like they had kind of that they were also inspired by like elvis and stuff they kind of had that american sound and people were really drawn to that so cool that was kind of incorporated into that then after that they released sandinista which was one of their more like experimental albums that was like the early 80s so 79 was london calling and sandinista was 1980 um that one like was still received pretty well but very weird there's actually a song on there with alan ginsburg saying a poem it's what? so weird yeah i can't remember the name that's of cool it now. um oh ghetto defendant that yeah it's actually super cool what? but he's like singing that's why it's so weird like they're such like a british band but then they go over and they have like alan ginsburg like a i had no idea poet. like yeah it's that's super cool. cool so they just have a lot going on wow. um i gotta listen to that bruh yeah alan ginsburg i know we do <laughs> so this one shit kind of hits the fan a little bit throughout their whole I guess career as a band they always had like some issues obviously like Strummer was very like aggressive about like his opinions and so was McJones a little bit so they like obviously when you're a band together like it's gonna happen right yeah it happens in every band it does so McJones was like he was just trying to like keep the peace I think a little bit like he was just a dude like he was the the fun of the group you know he was Mm. just trying to have a good time and Joe Simonon I bet there was something that went that happened with him he was the bass player and McJones and it just like that blew up and so it's just like like bros just fighting like they were just not once you have like a disagreement in the band 
and then you have to like be around them all the time and like pretend like everything's fine publicly like that's when it starts to eat away yeah so at that point too their drummer fell into like really bad heroin addiction Uh and he i don't think they i mean a lot of them are like on drugs and stuff too but that was like the worst of it Mm -hmm. so they recorded combat rock which has rock the casbah and oh my god so it's kind of interesting like london calling is their most popular album but combat rock has some has some bops i know like more clash songs than i thought i just didn't know they were oh my god then maybe i can do fuck mary kill with those songs Yes. Okay. Well, okay. we'll see what songs you know, and then we'll yeah. do that. wait. The rock the cash. What was it? Rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. That's yeah. like rock the Casbah. Rock the Casbah. Yes. yes. So Topper Heat and their drummer actually wrote like that entire song. They kicked him out of the band. This is like the most interesting part. They kicked him out of the band. He was literally living on the streets <gasps> with like a heroin addiction. Oh shit. And he they made the video, the music video for that after because it was like MTV time. Like this is when things were blowing up. So, they so made are their... we in the 90s now? No, this is like 80s. Okay. Like early cool. 80s. I just associate MTV with the 90s. Yeah, no, it started in the 80s, but... Okay. But yeah, so music videos <laughs> was like things, or whatever. So they... I don't even know if it was on MTV because they're British. I don't know if they... I guess maybe. British and TV. I don't know. That's I don't know. Thing. Mm, probably... Whatever. Probably but music videos, one. they were doing that. Yeah. So they recorded the music video for Rock the Casbah, and it was a different drummer playing the song that he wrote, and he remembered... Like, there was a part, Ooh. I remember in the podcast listening to it, where he... They, like, had an interview in there where he was saying that he remembers watching the music video for the song that he wrote played by someone else like in his band Ooh. and that like broke him yeah and they like didn't really talk to him like since they just that. kicked him out like he was he like actually homeless like he didn't have yeah he was living on the, like when he saw the video he was like on the streets wow yeah that's fucked up yeah but i mean they all they they were like had this big label but cbs treated them like shit and did not pay them like anything so mm. when they come and tour in like the u.s they like would basically couch surf because they like had no place oh to my God, stay that's horrible. like they weren't treated well like today like when you have a celebrity they like treat them so well like it was not the case with that it's they were like, like play for us like do all this shit for us write like four albums in yeah. four years but also you get paid nothing like they were paid shit that's they weren't crazy. like ever really rich yeah wow i mean that i think that seems like a common thing like having like really poor music management or like mm-hmm. record recording labels who are like really shitty to you yeah. but like underpaying you when you're like a huge band that you yeah. have that to the point that you're like living on the street that's like insane so then in 1983 that's when mick jones left the group and i feel like the clash is like obviously the other members are very important but like mick jones and joe strummer like that you can't have the clash without one or the other you know right, what I mean? right. so when he left it was because like they were the, the whole fight with that i don't even know what was going on but everyone was fighting so he's like fuck this i'm out so he left and then in 1985 the like band kept going with joe strummer um and joe simonon and they recorded another album in 1985 literally oh my god it's the worst album i think i've ever heard wow it's literally so bad okay maybe not ever heard but i don't like count it as a clash album and most people don't because it's so bad wow it's so bad they went and it's half the group like it just it doesn't work yeah but it's like when one direction made made in the am after zane left it was like guys why are you even trying (laughs) (laughs) sure anyway (laughs) that's my it's exactly reference. like that no but when i listened to that like i literally was like listening through a bunch of their songs just to, like getting the vibe of like the podcast stuff i was researching and like anytime like anything from cut the crap would come on i was like it literally sounds like a bunch of like beaten down like middle-aged dudes who like loved the clash <laughs> in their youth and they like decided to do like a cover band and like do like Aww. clash songs but they like sound really bad yeah but, like that's what the album sounds like it's so bad 
Wow. It's literally, so I'll, I'll insert a clip. It's like horrendous. How many years was that after like Mick Jones and John left? Um, Joe? No, John? Topper Heaton left. They kicked him out oh, like years okay. before. That that was two years after Mick Jones left. Okay. And Mick Jones is a baddie because then he goes on to form Big Audio Dynamite. Have you heard of Big Audio Dynamite? No. <gasps> Holy shit. So good. So obviously that like last album had no success at all. Everyone fucking hated it. <laughs> so Mick Jones is like living his life. He's This is like when he finally like kind of gets some fame. Like he's in Big Audio Dynamite, like getting some clout for that. Yeah. And apparently so like Joe Strummer like tries to do his own stuff and he's like not doing very well with it. Like he's kind of struggling. So he would stand outside of this. Like he found where Mick Jones was recording with Big Audio Dynamite would stand on the street like waiting outside the studio until one day he like ran in to Mick Jones and Mick Jones was like, oh yeah, bro. Like, okay. Like we haven't seen you in a couple of years. Like you can come in and like the studio and hang and stuff. Oh. Very weird moment. He would like let him into the studio, but apparently he like started helping out with production and like recording stuff. And like, so he had like some part in like the big audio dynamite stuff, which oh. might be why so like the first album. A reconciliation. Yeah. But like for everyone else in big audio dynamite, they were like, what the fuck? It's also like stalker like, behavior. Why? Yeah. Stalker behavior. <laughs> like he must've, I like picture them as like, he you know, he had a little thing for McJones or something. <gasps> no, oh. I don't know. That's why I like picture in my head. I'm like, mm, mm. what's he doing waiting outside his He's like, studio? Mickey, <laughs> I have feelings for you. Please let me perform in Big Audio File. Wait, what's it called? <laughs> Big Audio Dynamite. Big Audio Dynamite. No, but for real, they were like, they were like, bro- they were like, what's what's her name? Benny and, and Bjork. Benny and Bjorn. They were like Bjorn. Bjorn. <laughs> No, but they were like they were bros. They're bros, but in a way where it was like super. To- it's like that couple Toxic that's like super bros. fucking toxic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super fucking toxic, but like cannot but like, split up. Okay, right. But and when they, they do, when they did like music stuff together, it was great. Like mm-hmm. they were both. Neither was like super talented. I would say like in technique, like with instrumentally, I don't think they were like super talented. But like when they got together, like it was pretty. It was like their lyrics were really good. Like. Yeah. The Clash wouldn't be the Clash without the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then two so that's minds. Why, yeah. So I think like Joe Strummer being in the studio when the Big Audio Dynamite was recording may have like affected the sound and made it better. Interesting. But it's still creepy as fuck. So very weird way of getting involved. So that was pretty much that. Afterwards, Joe Strummer did some own stuff. He and Joe Simonon um did their own careers and stuff. And Joe Simonon actually played bass with the gorillas on their latest like on tour oh with God. the gorillas on their latest album that's so cool i did not know that but yeah he had, they have a song with joe simon in it wow which i was like what the fuck Fun. that's so random Fun yeah. little cameo so yeah he's like touring with the gorillas and whatever nice um Imagine. also i have a quick little anecdote yes. when i was writing an article about um i don't know something about colfax i talked to the guy, the owner of the colfax museum hmm. and he said that one time he was at or no he was walking over to the lion's lair which is like a really old bar venue in denver mm-hmm. and everyone was like freaking out they're like dude you just missed it and he was like what are you talking about and he's like mick jones was like just in here or, oh no i think it was joe strummer they're like joe strummer was just in here like chilling out like joe strummer was just like coming it was like in the 90s he like rolled into colorado and went into the lion's lair and like had a beer and was like talking to everyone and then dipped sick i know is that crazy wow so you know i bet you wish you were there i do and the colfax museum guy did too he's like fuck that's my one regret in life <laughs> that i didn't go a little bit earlier to the lion's lair that day oh but that's cool you like heard that firsthand from him yeah yeah interview. he told me that nice mm-hmm. 
It's pretty cool. Wow. Pretty I wish I could A bro run. moment. We were really bonding about that. Me yeah. and the Colfax Museum guy. Dude. Sorry, Colfax Museum guy. I don't know your name. I forgot. <laughs> that was a while Colfax ago. Colfax Museum guy. We should go to the Colfax Museum. I've, I've never, never been. heard of it. What it's, even is it? I don't know. It sounds really cheap. I like the Colfax area. It's like pretty cool. It actually has like a pretty rich history. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. actually. Girl, my earring keeps hitting me. <laughs> I hope you guys aren't hearing that. <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty much the clash. It was just. They're, I think with them, like I said, their legacy is what the biggest thing. Like, mm-hmm. they brought in so many different genres. They really added to, like, everything in the punk mo- movement. They really started that, like, political punk stuff yeah. with, like, the Sex Pistols. And I don't know. Their legacy, like, still lives on. There's so many people that still do covers of The Clash that still draw a lot from it, like, in- influentially. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and they're Amazing. just bops. They are just bops. They're also right. fucking clash. So true. Dude. Yeah. Okay, let's play Fuck Mary Kill. Okay, Fuck Mary Kill. Should I say or should I go? Rock the Casbah, London Calling. Those are also the top three songs on Spotify for the clash. So okay. everyone should know them. Yeah. If you don't. Guys, come uh, on. Brush on up on level. your clash listening. Wait, well, le- this is really hard for me. Yeah, I'm I think sure I would... it is. Well, those aren't even the best songs. <laughs> really? But yeah. I really do like Should I Say or Should I Go. I think I would. I know mine. I don't know if I could kill any of those. I think they're all good. I know, they are all good. I've heard London Calling too much. I'm going to kill London Calling. Aww. I'm going to fuck Rock the Casbah, and then I'm going to marry Should I Stay or Should I Go. I think I'd have, have to, good. I think I'd have to fuck Should I Stay or Should I Go, mm, okay. and then marry Ma- Rock the Casbah. Really? I, I, well, yeah. Rock the Casbah's kind of freaky. <laughs> uh, you know, now that you say that, yeah. Um, <laughs> now that you say that, yeah. I guess maybe I'll, I'll do what you're doing. Yeah, I guess yeah. I'll marry... Should I Stay or Should I Go? It's always so good. Yeah, That's it's one of those songs that, like... I can hear so many times. I never get tired of it. It's mm-hmm. so good. That's how I feel with ABBA. Dogs, with like you. most Chewy ABBA dogs. songs. That's also true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I guess I'm killing London Calling. Wow. Yeah. Kind of sad. I know. It's good. It's like, not. We're not being it's serious. Not, guys. It's not even the best song on London Calling. But yeah. So that's everything about the Clash. I think it was fun to talk about that. Yes. So fun. So wow. That's everything, guys. guys. Yeah. I hope you learned a little bit about these bands. Yeah. Hope um, you feel enlightened. Hope you feel inspired to go listen to ABBA and The Clash. Yeah, you should right go listen to them. Now. Okay. Yeah. And if we get three listens uh, outside <laughs> of our friend group, then we're getting tattoos. We will. What Clash tattoo would you get? Oh, I don't know. I've actually thought about it because I want to... Well, I want to get a Red Hot Chili Peppers one on this arm. And right. I want to get a Velvet Underground one on this arm. <gasps> what Velvet Underground? With the banana? banana? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I want to get that on this arm. So but cool. I have thought about a Clash one. And there's like some... I have a sticker on my laundry basket of the London Calling, but it's like sketch i don't know it's super cool so oh. i do something kind of like that cool but like that's kind of basic to do at london calling so whatever i don't know i would get chikatita written on my arm that's really cute thanks <laughs> but if we do get them we will show them somewhere we will show them somewhere so everyone go listen Eventually. so we can get tattoos we need an yeah. excuse yeah okay, okay thanks guys don't hold me to that though okay okay <laughs> <laughs> okay bye okay bye This podcast was written and produced by Tony Elton and Julia Murtis, edited by Tony Elton, music by Sam Shapiro, and a special thanks to Carlos Jimenez and Lucy Richardson.